Today's guest can credit a random conversation during a bachelor party for the start of his main journey on Amazon. And now he's been a part of a couple seven-figure businesses and is gonna let us know some of his unique insights into things like bundling and partnerships. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I'm your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. And I have got a serious seller with me right here in studio today. Ryan, Ryan, how is it going? Hey, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing just delightful here. You are the first one that we're actually recording video and audio on here at our office. So uh, let's see if you might be our first YouTube episode here. So no pressure though. Sounds good. All right. So anyways, Ryan, when did we first meet? We met back in 2016 on that famous day that you said was the first day of your Amazon private label journey at the uh, Zon Squad live event in Chicago. Yep. Yep. Zon Squad live. I met tons of people that day and that weekend that... I've remained friends to this day, and it's it's kind of cool to be have keep in contact with you. Now, what I always like to start out the episode with with is the origin story. So, you I know you currently live in Vegas. Now, were you born and raised in Vegas? Yes, I was. Okay, and did you go directly to college after high school? Yep, I went to Pepperdine in Malibu. Oh, Pepper! So you came out here to uh, college? I did. I did. Yes, um, took some surfing class there. It's pretty fun. Now, surfing wasn't your major, though, right? No. What was your major? <laughs> My major was international business. Oh, nice. That was one of my majors in my junior college. Cool. So Very cool. Um, you, you might be one of the first people who kind of has a major that applies a little bit to the, to the right. Amazon and e-commerce world. So that's kind of cool. Definitely. Um, graduated with a bachelor's degree from there. Bachelor's. Yes. And then upon graduation, what, what was your first entry into the job market? I guess. Um, well, you know, I went to work for my family's company. My stepdad has some office supply companies in Las Vegas you know, in Juneau, Alaska. And coincidentally, the week that I was graduating, the managers in Alaska quit. So he offered me the position and I thought it would be a great opportunity to get some management experience. So I accepted on the condition that I can go up there for one year. And I was up there for exactly 365 days. In Alaska? In Alaska. And it's pretty crazy up there. Man, I can imagine. Is it true that like there's some days where the the sun doesn't come out or something like that, some part of the year? Right. Yeah. In the winter, it's uh, pretty dark. We really only had some, I wouldn't call it sunlight, but some, some light from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. It was overcast pretty much every day of the year. Uh, I think it rains about 280 days there. So one year working in the darkness of Alaska upon graduating and then came back to, to the West Coast. And then what, what's, what was next for you? I first learned about selling on Amazon from a friend from college. At the end of the semester, he built a donation box that he put outside the bookstore. And at the end of the semester, the kids all go to the bookstore to sell back their books, but there's a number of books that the bookstore won't buy back. And so the kids get a little lazy and they toss those books in those donation bins um, just so they don't have to deal with it anymore. And anyways, my friend got a large amount of books over that semester and he sold them on Amazon that summer. So what year were you talking about really? This is 2012. Okay. Okay. So he sold those books on Amazon over the summer and made about $3,000. And of course he donated a portion of those proceeds to charity, but that really got me thinking about Amazon and the opportunity there. All right. That's interesting. So now we're talking about 2012. So uh, you stuck with your stepfather's company. Now, 
At what point though, did you really start thinking about, about Amazon, like starting it for yourself? Yeah. I mean, I started right away in 2012, but uh, that was more like white labeling. All right. So, so what's a white label for those who, from our listeners who might not know what that means? White labeling is basically just buying a generic product from China and shipping it and selling it on Amazon. Um, you're using an existing listing at that point, which you could get in trouble for these days, uh, known as hijacking. So essentially in 2012, I guess I'd say I was a hijacker. Um, but yeah, in 2014, I went through one of the popular Amazon seller courses, and that's really where I learned about private label and uh, decided to take this to the next level. All right. So in 2014, now I'm assuming at this time you're still working for your company. And if so, what were you doing? Like, what was your position there? I was an operations manager. Um, I'd purchase materials and procure customer orders from our suppliers. And I was also in charge of making sure that everyone was doing their job up in Alaska. And I have to go up to Alaska every now and then to oversee things. Okay. Now, at what point though, did you learn? Because if I'm not mistaken, when I talked to you before, you actually speak Chinese. Like how in the world did that come about? Yeah. So in college, I studied abroad in China. It was one of the requirements for the international business um, degree. But so I went off to Shanghai for a semester and that's where I took a couple of language courses and really immersed myself in the language. All right. That's pretty impressive. So did that help at all when you, when you started on Amazon? Like uh, I'm just assuming that your product that you started sourcing, you had manufactured in China. So do you feel that having a, a grasp with a Chinese language helped in negotiations or did it help you converse with the factories over there? Honestly, we mainly conversed in English. Um, when I tried using Chinese, the rep would usually switch over to English. All right. So now in, in 2014, hopefully your, your hijacking days were over. You took the, the Amazon course. So now you're starting private label. So what was your very first private label product? It was a tea infuser. A tea infuser. So are you still selling that product today? No, I'm not selling that same one. No. I always ask that, you know, it's funny. I, I think you uh, know Paul Miller or something and I believe it was him and maybe a couple other people. They actually still are selling their, their first product that they sold on Amazon, but most people don't because usually the first product fails, you know, or just kind of dies, you know, with time. So that's how Amazon goes. But tea infuser, how did that tea infuser launch go for you? Are we talking 2014, 2015? Yeah, this was around 2014, 2015. The launch was a little botched because I got in trouble with Amazon related to the past activity with the white labeling. And that just coincidentally happened right, right before I was supposed to launch with the tea infuser. So then I'm assuming you were just looking to sell a product. You, you weren't planning to be a tea infuser mogul and, and build some big brand on that. So where did you go from there? Like, did you, I mean, you didn't stay in the tea infuser niche or anything. Did you, did you expand or what, what was yeah, it? I did expand. I mean, I came out with a couple more tea infusers and I'm down to 150 left today that I'm just liquidating. Um, this is years of selling, mm -hmm. but I've kind of branched out. That's where I joined a partnership to do develop pet products. Oh, okay. Something that I was a little more passionate about because I had some two cats by the time. Um, so yeah, I just thought that it would be a much better market because people love pets and they'll spend all kinds of money on pets. And what year is this now? Uh, this was 20, the end of 2015. Okay. So end of 2015, you took on a different partner, started a, a pet brand. And what was the, I, I know you mentioned you, you kind of felt that you had to, but like, what was, what was the relationship or the nature of the partnership? Was it like one person was bringing the Amazon knowledge? One person was bringing the money. One person was bringing the manufacturing or or what, what were the motivation behind starting a partnership? Um, well, yeah, I had some friends from college that came to my bachelor party and uh, 
they saw my garage full of toys of retail arbitrage. And uh, that's where they kind of got the idea that maybe they wanted to get involved in this and learn. So we kind of formed pretty quickly. Um, you know, I would put a little more thought into joining partnerships. You really have to plan for a lot of things from the start because it can get a little dicey future. Some things can happen and um, you really have to plan these things out. So initially we thought that each person would kind of pitch in and develop their own brand of products. How, how many of them? I thought it was just one person, but it sounds like there's more than just you and a friend. Right. Um, well, there was four main people. but Including then, you. Including okay. me, yes. And so then the plan was you were each going to kind of like start an own brand or kind of right. thing. And, and what happened with that? Um, well, two out of a, me and one other have dedicated our time to doing so and in, in creating our own companies. Um, but the other two were invested in their normal uh, day jobs mm -hmm. and didn't get as involved as we really thought they would. So then when you set up this partnership, like, was it, Hey, each person's going to run their own thing and then kind of get the proceeds from, from their own venture or everything was split equally and all the work was split equally or, or how was that set up? Yeah, everything would be split equally. Um, we kind of set up a, a main partnership company and then we had each brand have its own s subsidiary company. It's not necessarily the, the right way of doing things. It complicates things a lot. Definitely. Um, what would you have done differently then? What, what would be what you consider the right way? I don't think it's necessary to have those multiple corporate levels. It gets really complicated in terms of taxes and filing registrations with certain states and keeping track of all of that. Um, so I would probably just go with the one entities. Um, so you literally had four companies and then there, you had to set up, there's a CEO of this company, you had to file taxes for four right. companies and everything. But in reality, you were all one kind of conglomeration because it was a partnership. Right. We had the partnership level uh, and then we had the two subsidiaries created so far. Um, the other two subsidiaries were never created because we didn't get past the ID okay. idea stage. So then how is that pet company, pet product company still doing today? It is going today. Yes. Seven figure brand for the last couple of years. Oh, wow. Okay. So then was that your venture or that was your, that yeah, was your that partner's was, one who was mainly managing that? Um, that was my idea. Okay. I've done all the work on that. How many uh, products? Um, we have right now, we have about eight that are live right now, but over the years we've discontinued a couple just because the market wasn't as what we expected it to be. When's the last time you launched a, a product under that brand? Honestly, it's been about a year and a half since we launched a new product. Although I am in the process of doing one right now from a current supplier, which makes it easy. They can just throw a couple nice. hundred units on our next container. So is it still a seven figure brand? It is. Yes. That's, that's great to know because a lot of people think that, you know, the life cycle of Amazon products is pretty short and, you know, sometimes it is, but then here's a company that's still making seven figures on products that they launched over a year and a half, two years ago. So that's, that's pretty cool. What's the number one seller as far as not what it is, but how much does the number one seller or number one selling skew make a year? Um, well, we do about 30 to 40,000 a month on this one. We have three really size variations and mm -hmm. each one is pretty equal at about 30,000 a month. Okay. So then of the eight products, do you mean eight different products or eight SKUs total? Um, well, it's, it's more like 10 SKUs total. Some of them the are variation. complimentary okay. products, like a sec accessories for the products. Now what, you know, this is a question a lot of people ask is, Hey, I I've got, you know, a pet product. I've got a, a sweater and there's different colors or something like, how do you choose whether to put it in a, in a family arrangement in a variation 
so that, hey, uh, you know, people can see that there's other colors available or do they split it up so that you have opportunity to get multiple search rank positions? But like, how did you guys make that decision? So initially we put everything together in variation relationships just because we wanted to pull all the reviews together. And it really helps when you add a new variation there. So you're not starting from scratch every time you add a new product. Um, but somewhere along the line, about two years ago, Amazon broke up one of my products, the, the family, because they said it was an improper relationship. It's a size relationship, but one this of This is the, an incestuous relationship, Amazon said. We're right. going to break up this. <laughs> oh my so goodness. One, one of the sizes, the design looks just a little bit different because the product is so big, it, it needs to be a little shaped a little different. So that was enough for Amazon to say, no, this can't be a, a, a relationship. So I was a little afraid at that point, but after they got broken up, there are three different listings showing up for the same keywords and actually sales increased on some of those variations. So oh, okay. It ended up being a good thing actually. Okay. So yeah, I, I, that's what I've always kind of taught that there's no right answer. It depends on the situation. You know, sometimes it's better to have it in a variation where you know there's going to be two or three that probably are, would never do well on its own anyway. So, but other times, uh, like you just said, it, it's good to good to break it up. Now, what was one of the biggest things you learned from the pet brand? Like either something that was really good or something that was really bad? Well, I just say overall, in general, just being in a partnership, you need, really need to plan it out from day one, put more thought into it. Uh, people say it's it's kind of like a marriage and, and a divorce, really. If you need to break it up, things can get really ugly and the company likely will close its door when you need to break mm -hmm. off. So really plan it out from day one. If you're going in, people jump into these partnerships really quick. Um, so maybe you need to spend a little more time developing the relationship and thinking about it. You really have to think of, no one likes to think about the negatives from day one, but you really do have to plan out for what happens when something unforeseen happens and just can't get along anymore. Are you happy being friends? Like, mm -hmm. is your friendship going to continue? Or a lot of people, when um, a lot of money gets on the table, people can change. So before you mix business with your personal life, you might want to think a little bit about that and plan for it. Maybe a little bit better to, to not plan big partnerships on when you're hungover from a bachelor party. Uh, right. I don't know. Uh, that's yeah, just my you might opinion. want to delay that a little <laughs> bit. All right. Now, how do you guys pay yourselves? Okay. So this is a seven figure brand. Do you do, does everything get reinvested into the company? Uh, do you guys pay yourself salary that that's coming from that entity or how does that, how does that work? Yeah. So since I'm the operator of this pet brand, I would take a salary and a commission. Um, and then we reinvest all the profits. We haven't done any distributions yet. Okay. So reinvesting in, yeah, I mean, is everything, are you using everything that's reinvested or, or is it like sitting in a bank account or? No, we're, we're using it all for larger inventory purchases. Now you, you, do you do any of your own uh, products yourself or everything's with your partners? Yeah, I do have my own private label brand that I created two years ago. Okay. And how, how's, how many SKUs you have there? That one, we have uh, three main SKUs okay. and we're developing a couple more. And how's your, what's your, I mean, we're, we're coming here in fourth quarter. What, what do you project that to 2019 is going to end for you in sales as far as that brand goes? It'll be between 500 and 600,000 for this company. And how, how's your profit margin there? Um, well, it, it was in the 30%, but the tariffs have kind of ruined that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So again, we're looking at other countries and, and things around that. Wow. So you, you've, th these are your three main businesses or kind of income. Now you've got the brand that does the food. You've got the pet and then now this is your own thing. Now this one, basically anything that's profit, 
is that you get to keep because you don't have partners on this one, right? Right. Yeah. That was the idea. And so how, like now that you've been kind of in both worlds or, or three worlds kind of, you know, two partner worlds, but in completely different industries, you know, one with a drop ship thing and a, and a heavy on the labor part where it's a lot of packaging and kidding and stuff. You have one where it's a traditional private label where it's kind of, I would assume mostly hands off, but with a partner. And then now you have another private label, but just running it by yourself. What's worked out the best for you? Would you say? Um, you know, I really like the potential of building your private label brand because it is an asset that you could sell in the future if you do it right. Hmm. But I really like that. What's your goal for uh, next year for your, 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 your own private label brand? Uh, honestly, I am looking to sell that next year just to take some money off the table and I can reinvest that money and maybe build a new brand. Because the, right now, the other two, uh, the partner venture ships, you said you're only getting salary on that, right? Right. And I have a small ownership of the entire company. So it makes more sense to build up my own company yeah. that I own hundred percent of and, and sell that because I'd get the most benefit personally. Okay. Now, um, I know you recently joined a Helium 10 Elite. So what, what have you gotten out of those, you know, the, the little works? I actually haven't been to the, the in-person workshop. This next one's going to be your first one, right? Right. But yes. have you been listening to the virtual ones and been learning some things from there? Yeah, absolutely. There's always little strategies. I love Kevin's seven ninja hacks at the end of every call. Yep. Yep. Awesome. That's awesome. So one question I had is, is you had some unique uh, bundling kind of like suggestions for people. So like a lot of people don't know about bundling, like there's bundling kind of in the wholesale or arbitrage industry where you take a couple of brand name stuff that by itself has some demand and you put it together because you know, you think that people would like it together or that has a tendency to buy it together. And then people buy it, that bundle together. It's, and it's unique in the private label, you know, maybe you're in the, let's say the pet industry and there's a bark collar, but then there's something else that goes with, with, with a pet and then you could bundle it together. So like, what, what are some bundling experiences you've had and maybe some advice for, for people who want to consider that for their brands? Right. I like to bundle things that have um, a high perceived value. So whether it be dog bowls, um, like a dog bowl set that has a whole stand, um, I would like to include, let's say, a couple extra dog bowls so that people can interchange them, maybe put them through the dishwasher. It's, it's accessories that you use with the product that would wear down over time that might be useful to have a couple extras. Um, I know a lot of sellers out there just bundle their products with a free ebook, but I feel like the value of that is been declining. Um, people don't pay as much attention to that anymore. So a physical accessory that complements your product that is needed to use your product is very valuable because people are selling these bowls. You could also sell those accessories by itself as a standalone product too, um, for people that need extras or lose them or, or break it, whatnot. But you could see that it sells by itself for 10 or $12 or whatnot. So you attach that value to the product when you're making your purchasing decision. So when you decide between one product or another, you can really, you don't, if I'm competing against another seller, I don't have to lower my price if they lower theirs a couple bucks because I'm adding that extra value. Interesting. Interesting. That's good. Now, just in general though, I'm just curious, you're obviously very successful. Um, two times over now in the pet industry, now in your new private label industry, what is your process on how to find opportunity? I mean, do you, uh, where do you go for inspiration? I mean, do you just use tools, you know, like Helium 10 and 
look for products or do you use the Helium 10 looking for keywords or do you just go to trade shows looking for ideas? Do you just get ideas walking down the street? Like how, how have you been so successful with picking these profitable products? Um, I started with the end customer in mind, um, whether it be the pet owner or um, my other private label brand, um, mothers and fathers. So I take a look at those people directly and, and think about what they need and identify products that they commonly use and look for um, other products out there that kind of fail that I look at the negative reviews and get inspiration from that, to see gaps in the market. Um, and then I can use tools like Helium 10 to kind of confirm the research behind it, whether the keywords are good or not in the competition, if I can enter that market successfully. What's, what's your, everybody has different thresholds. You know, some people say, Hey, we're, I want to go by the opportunity score. I want to go by a success score. I want to go by this score, that score. And I tell people, no, any score you see in a tool, it, it's just kind of a measure of certain metrics, but everybody has their own kind of internal score that they do. Like when, when they're looking at page one of the main keywords, they're like, Hey, I would like to have this many search volume. I would like to have these, the, the top products have this many reviews or, or maybe bad reviews, but what are some of your criteria? What, what's the Ryan score for, when you determine if something's too competitive or not. So I like to look at page one for the keyword and I like to see that multiple people on page one are making good size volume. Um, I like to also see that the people on page one don't have too many reviews. If everyone has more than a thousand reviews, it's going to be very difficult for mm -hmm. me to come in zero reviews and compete against these guys. So yeah, I look at the reviews. I look at making sure that everyone on page one has decent sales volume. Uh, just to make sure that there is opportunity there. I also will look at the Helium 10 for keyword suggestions. Um, I can look at the keyword monthly search volume, but I know I'm pretty sure that Amazon closed that loophole. So you can't really rely 100% on those numbers. It's more useful for relativity. Mm -hmm. You can see mm -hmm. if, hey, if you have 12 keywords at minimum that have decent volume, then that's pretty good Yeah, in my opinion, because if you don't get good rankings on one keyword, at least you have others to fall back on and options there. Okay. So now we, we come to a part of the program that we call TST. In other words, 30 second tip. So in all your experience, you know, you've been doing private label for about five years now. What is something that you can tell our audience uh, in 30 seconds or less, a 30 second tip from Ryan here that can help them in their Amazon business? I'm a big fan of licensing. I think it's a fantastic opportunity to enter a competitive or established market because you can rely on that brand name that's well known. Um, they kind of act as the ultimate influencer because everyone knows that brand. Um, I would recommend looking into the Paul Miller story. He's had fantastic success with licensing and they have free licensing expos in Las Vegas every year. It's a great place to start, but I feel like you can really get some traction on Amazon by leveraging a well-known brand. All right. Excellent. Yeah. We had actually had Paul on the podcast a while back. So guys, if you're, if you didn't listen to that one, make sure to, to search for that on iTunes to, to see more about licensing, but that is a good tip. I think that's something that almost any private label seller can look into. And it's something that can differentiate yourself, even in a saturated niche, you know, there, there's no such thing as saturation in licensing because usually there's only one, you know, like, like a famous brand will only give one license for a certain kind of product. So by definition, it's not saturated. All right. So I'm assuming Ryan, though, that licensing isn't something that you have actually done yet, but you're definitely looking into it. I actually do have a licensing agreement with a graphic designer. 
we're developing a product right now and I have some samples on the way to me. Okay. So I would love to hear back from you next year, maybe to see how that licensing went and to, to kind of see, you know, how, how, where you're at in your Amazon journey. Were you able to exit your private label brand like you had wanted how your partnership's going? Because definitely you have an interesting story. And, and one thing I hope the takeaway is that you guys can, can get from this episode is that most of you guys have probably never heard of, of Ryan. You know, he's not some guru or influencer. He doesn't have a YouTube channel. He doesn't have his own course. He's just a dude like you or me. Any one of you guys or gals could, could be Ryan. You know, Ryan didn't have any special Amazon specific training from Jeff Bezos or anything like that. He took some Amazon courses and he studied international business and he, he took that course and applied what he learned and has grown from there. And as you can see now, he's in multiple businesses. One is approaching seven figures and another one is seven figures and another one's approaching eight figures. So I hope that having Ryan on here inspires you guys. You know, sometimes I know we have the Kevin Kings, the Lee Rons and, and the big heavies out there. And, and some people are like, wow, that's really cool listening to, to this story. And I'm learning so much, but like sometimes they have trouble relating like, oh, I can never be Kevin or I can never be Lee Ron. Those guys are, are giants in the industry. But guys here, Ryan is proof that anybody with the right strategies, they can rise to the top. So Ryan, thank you very much for coming to our office today to record this episode. And now I, I know you don't have your own course or, or your own thing, but if people want to reach out to you, maybe get some advice on things, uh, are you willing to put out any of your contact info? You know, you can find me on Facebook. I'm in a lot of the Amazon seller groups, the Helium 10 group, among another, probably 10 other groups. So just look out for me, Ryan Ebel. Perfect. All right, Ryan, we'll see you in those groups. And thank you again for coming today. Thank you very much. Quick note, guys, don't forget that regardless where you are listening to this podcast, whether it's on your iPhone or on Stitcher or on Spotify, that you hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we drop a new episode.